You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Steve and Terry are in Australia right now ministering at a uh, equip and a couple of churches. So we are blessed today as a result of that to have Tyler sharing the word with us. So he has a great message that can speak to each one of us here. It's not just for a few of us, it's for everybody. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for Tyler and for the uh, work you've done in his life. We pray that you'll speak through him and draw each one of us closer to you, that every person in here this morning would, would hear from you through what he has to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. It is a good morning this morning, right? I'm sure that there's some people in this room that it's not just me and my family that has trouble occasionally with conflict or whatever it be, especially on Sunday mornings when you're, you're getting ready to go to church and the kids are misbehaving or you get in an argument over something stupid like the dishes or whatever it be, these distractions that come to get us off track, right? These things that come against us to get us to say, I'm not going to go to church this morning. This is too big of a deal. We need to settle this. Or, you know what, kids? We're not going. You've been misbehaving. You're not going to go see your friends at church this morning. <laughs> Satan wants to distract us from the good that God has for us. And when these troubles come, when the distractions come, it doesn't change God's goodness. He is still good. So, all these worship songs this morning, did you guys know, by the way, that songs, the worship songs can speak to us? These, these lyrics, these words speak volumes to us, especially those of us who are musically inclined, and it just like resonates in us all week. Like, yes, that song. But God's speaking something about his power and his might and his majesty and his steadfastness and his love this morning. And it weaves right into my the message that I've prepared out of Romans. And I just wanted to, to start off by saying God is good no matter what is coming against us. That doesn't change that God is good. Amen? Amen. So uh, Steve spoke last week uh, out of Romans, and I want to hit a couple verses because Paul, it's not like he wrote, okay, this is the section I wrote and I'm done, and then I move on to the next section. But this is a letter that he's writing, and it leads into each other. So I have the conclusion of Romans 8. But uh, in Romans 8.22, this is what's part of the passage Steve used last week. I wanted to hit on something in here, because it sets up for what Paul's speaking uh, in the end. So if you would read along with me in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. We're groaning. The whole world is groaning under the weight of sin. That means trouble happens. Bad things happen. Sin happens because we're, un, we're in the world that's groaning under the weight of sin. And not only the creation, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have a taste the Holy Spirit gives us a taste of what is to come. And we groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons, for the redemptions of our bodies, for the promises 
of eternal salvation, eternal life with him. That's a promise. If we believe on the Lord Jesus, we have eternal life. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. If you could see it, you could touch it. You don't have to hope for something to happen if you've got it right there in your hands. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We are called to live in a world that's groaning under the weight of sin. That means trouble's going to come in our lives and bad things are going to happen. But we eagerly wait with hope for the promise that God has given us. And then in verse 31, Paul starts talking about this hope. So if you would turn with me to the next couple verses in 31. Um, I'm just going to read this whole chunk, and then we're going to get into what it means. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He, did not, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. That's all I got this morning. Uh, It's a great passage of scripture. I mean, we all know that Scripture stands on its own feet. There's nothing I can say that can add to more emphasis of what God has put in the Word that He's given us. But to help explain sometimes what it means is helpful. So, uh, in verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody, right? So that means no one is against us. That's not true. There are things that are against us. Satan is against us. He is against each of you doing what God's called you to do. He's against each of you raising the children that he's called you to raise. He's against each of you going into your jobs and being an example of Christ in their lives. 
He is against us. So what does this verse mean? If we take this out of context, we could say, oh, the Bible isn't true because it says if God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer is no one. But it doesn't mean that no one is against us. What it means is that if God is for us, he has our best. He's holding us in his hands. Who can stand up against the almighty creator of the heavens and the earth? God sacrificed his son so we can have eternal life with him. In Romans 5, 6 through 8, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For no one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I can tell you with confidence that God is for us. Um, when he sent his son, like we, we all know that we, we hear this in scripture regularly. This is the message of the gospel. He sent his son. But when we really reflect on what it means for him to send his son, he sent his perfect son, his one and only perfect son to die, to be beaten and bruised and battered to be separated from his presence that they've never been separated before ever in all eternity for you and I. That is a great example of love for us. I thought before I had my own children that I knew what that love was like. And it wasn't until my son was born even the pregnancy, like Kylie felt these connections with the kids and I just didn't feel that. And I don't think it makes me a bad dad. I just didn't have that connection when, when she, this, her belly's growing. It's like, they're not here yet. I don't, I don't feel what you're feeling. I don't get the emotions you're feeling. But then as soon as I set my eyes on my son, I immediately had a picture, an imperfect picture of God's love for his son and his children. And to think that God would be able to send his son to die for us, to die for others, I, would, I don't think that I would be able to do that. I'm selfish. I'm fallen. To think I would sacrifice my son for someone else is very challenging in, in me. But God is perfect and his love is perfect. And Jesus was plan A, And he knew what he was doing. And he knew that the choice he was making, that while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, he made this choice to send his son. I can tell you with confidence that God is for us. He's for our best. He loves each and every one of us and he wants us to be reliant on him and his power and strength and might. Um... David is one of my favorite characters. He's actually my favorite character. Next, I have to say that because next to Jesus, next to the Savior, he's my favorite character in the Bible. Um, but David is, is a great example for all of us. And I think that each of us can relate to a part of his story. Not all of us are anointed as king like David was. So, you know, that's not really a thing that we can see. But we can relate to, to David's heart. David knows that he's a sinner. 
but he knows the assurance that God has for him. He knows the future hope of Jesus, who he didn't even know his name, but he knows that God made a promise. He knows that God alone makes him white as snow and clean in his eyes. And David has this confidence that God is for him. That never wavers in David's mind through all the trouble and calamity in his life. It never wavers. When my favorite story is David and Goliath. I use this story a lot. There's so many truths and so much hope and so much uh, that we can pull out of this story. So David is going out to the battlefield to take his brothers some food and some encouragement and, you know, all these things to this battlefield. And he comes and he hears Goliath, the giant, opposing God's army, outright opposing God. And not one person, not one trained soldier, seasoned veterans are brave enough, bold enough in their own, they're not brave enough or bold enough in God to go do and stand up against the darkness and what, what's coming against God's chosen people. But David, a boy, a teenager, hears Goliath's challenge and he steps up. He says, why are you letting this giant oppose the living God? So, so Saul brings him in, says, here's my armor, here's my sword, then I'll go fight him. And David puts it on. He says, this is not my, this is not me. This is not my capacity. This is not my calling to wear this. I don't need this. I don't need the tools that you have. I have the living God on my side. He knows that he's going to go out and defeat Goliath, but it's not in his strength. It's in the giant who is carrying David through. His strength is found in the Lord. And he knows that it's not him who's going to deliver him against Goliath. It's God who's going to deliver him against Goliath. There are things that come against us in this world. There are big challenges and hurdles and hardships and tragedy that comes against us in our world. But those things are not bigger than the God, the giant who's standing behind us. And we can be confident that God is for us. Verse 33, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. God has given us right standing with himself. If we have put our trust in Jesus, God doesn't keep a record against us any longer. He's erased the trespasses against him. He's He's hit backspace to delete those words, those actions, those thoughts out of our record. We are made right by what Christ did on the cross when we put our hope, when we put our trust in him. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and such 
were some of you. He calls them out. And such were some of you. Such are some of us. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There are many accusations that can be brought against all of us. And such were some of you. We were sinners. But when we fix our eyes and our hope in Jesus, we know that we have been washed clean. We have been sanctified and justified by what he did on the cross. So we will be accused of things. The devil will accuse us. He will accuse us of things that are true. You are lustful. You are greedy. You are selfish. You're a liar. He will accuse us of these things, but we have a hope in Christ who made us washed clean. And we, when, when those accusations come, we say, I know, I am a sinner, but God rescued me out of my sin and shame and guilt. And when we turn to him and we say, Lord, I repent of the things that I've done. When we trip and fall and we stumble again and again, we repent. We get back up, we turn away from sin and we repent. Lord, I'm sorry. Give me strength. He is faithful and just to forgive us of the things in our lives. In verse 34, who then will condemn us? No one. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, more than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. There's four, there's four things here. Christ died. More than that, he was raised. He is sitting at the right hand of God and he is interceding for us. Christ died to pay the penalty of our sins and he rose again. And this means something to us. God was fully satisfied with the payment that Christ made for our sins. He doesn't require us any more to do anything else. We don't have to make sacrifices anymore. We don't have to pay for forgiveness. We don't have to go through rituals to make ourselves clean. God was fully satisfied and he rose Christ from the dead. In Romans 4, 22 through 25, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, for our mistakes, for our sin, and raised for our justification. We are justified and we are forgiven. This is an encouraging message this morning. 
At least I hope it is. I'm saying that. This is encouraging. Uh, And we can identify with Christ's death and resurrection through baptism. Colossians 2.12 says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. It's a symbol. When we say to the world, I believe in Christ and I'm going to be baptized, it's a symbol. When we go underneath that water, it's saying I'm dying to my old self, I'm dying to my flesh, and I want to be raised to life in the new life that Christ is calling me to live by his power. It's a it's an important step that I, I feel like the American church kind of downplays a little bit is baptism. And if you want to walk successfully, if you want to walk, it's not that it saves you. Baptism does not save us. When we say yes to Christ, that's our salvation. We are justified. But baptism is a symbol. It, it says, I want to follow you with my whole heart. I long to live for you and you alone Help me. I died to myself and I'm arising out of the water in your new life. Give me strength. If you haven't been baptized, I want to encourage you to to be baptized. You can sign up at the Welcome Center. This is a side note. You can sign up at the Welcome Center. Uh, One of the pastors will contact you and we'll talk you through what it looks like. It's not scary. You're not going to drown. Most likely. (laughs) so the last part of this is that christ he's sitting at the right hand of god interceding for us so he's sitting at god's right hand on the throne interceding for us now in order to fully understand what this means we have to understand what the word intercede means actually means because we can have a, a, a array of an idea of what this means. And so I was thinking on this for a little while, like the power of what that means in our lives, that God, that Christ is sitting at God's right hand interceding for us. What does that actually look like? So um, imagine if you will, God's sit, seated on the throne with Christ right there next to him. And they're, they're looking at the, you know, the big IMAX screen of our lives I don't actually think that there's a screen. I don't think God is limited by a television to see what's going on in all of our lives. But just imagine. And they're watching this unfold in like, in like instant replay, right? Oh, like when I trip up, oh, I can just see Jesus going, oh, what are you doing? And God's going, oh, I got something against him. And, God's, and Christ is sitting there like, I'm sorry. Like he's with me, I guess. Like please let him pass on this one. And that's a, not a good picture of interceding for us. It's not like he's vouching for a buddy for something. Like, ah, oh, not he, I know, he's embarrassing. He's with me. Go on and let him in, please. Uh, yeah, I, dang it, Logan, I got it. That's not what Christ is doing. That's not what Christ is doing. When we trip up, When we sin, when we fail, Christ is at the right hand of God interceding, saying, I died for them. 
our perfect king, died for us. And he does, he, I don't even think he has to say it. He just sits there in his glory and it shows what he's done for us. No words have to be spoken at that moment. Just his presence at the right hand of God speaks what needs to be said. And that is that Christ died for our sins. And he is interceding when we slip up, when we make mistakes, he's interceding for us. I was beaten, I was bruised, my blood was shed, and I died, and I rose for them. God is on our side. That perfect picture of the love of a father for his son and sending him to be sacrificed, that is a perfect picture of God's love for each and every one of us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Paul asks uh, two more questions in this section here. And he says in verse 35, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? He doesn't answer the question there, but he takes it even further. And he says, Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or are threatened with death? Does it, does it mean he doesn't love us if we're facing financial hardship or we lost our job and we're going to lose our house or we can't afford to buy gas to get to work anymore? Does it mean that he doesn't love us when our kids are in the hospital sick or when we've lost a loved one? Does it mean he doesn't love us when the chaos of this life is all around us and we don't know what to do anymore? And he answers, and he says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In NLT, it says, no, Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. The hardships that we face are not linked to God's love for us. They are not a representation that God has lost his love for us if we're facing trouble in this life. The whole world is groaning under the pains of sin And we will face trouble. But it does not mean that God doesn't love us. Job, who loved God and was blessed by God, faced great calamity and trouble. He lost all of his children, all his earthly possessions, all his income. He was had boils all over his body that he scraped off with clay pots. All because... He was faithful to God and Satan said he wouldn't love you if you didn't bless him and God said test him. It was not an issue of God's lack of love for Job. It wasn't a thing that Job just had to go through. 
God allowed it to happen. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love us, but we are all under the groanings of the labor pains of sin in this world, and bad things will happen because of the decisions that Adam and Eve started when they sinned. And we would have made those same decisions because deep down we are all sinners. You don't teach a two-year-old to sin. They just do it. We are sinners from the moment we're born. We're born into the sin. And we would have made the same decisions to choose to walk away from what God had for us. And now we're suffering the consequences in this life because the world is under the labor pains of sin. But it does not mean God doesn't love us. So Paul answers his question. Can anything separate us from God's love? He says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be, ev- will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death cannot separate us. The things we face in this life cannot separate us. Angels and demons and rulers and powers in this world cannot separate us. Depth or height, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from Christ's love. The answer is no. If you've said yes to the lordship of Jesus in your life, if you made him king, if you said, Lord, I trust you, I believe that you came, were born, you died and rose on the cross for my sins. And we know through scripture that he's interceding, he's paid the penalty, we've been justified. If you've put your hope in him, nothing can ever separate you from his love. In John 16, 26, it says, In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. That perfect picture of unconditional love for a child is complete because we have been adopted as sons and daughters and God says that he loves us because we have believed in Christ. There is nothing, and I hope that you, you leave today with a confidence and an assurance that nothing can separate us from God, that no trial or temptation or crazy calamities, just if your life feels like it's falling apart, it does not mean that God doesn't love you. He sent his son, and we are adopted as sons and daughters in his kingdom. Let's pray. I'm going to invite the team to come up, and I'm just going to pray before we close. Lord, thank you for making a way for each and every one of us to be made right with you, to be washed clean in your eyes. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who at this moment is interceding on our behalf. With his body that was broken, the life that he sacrificed, and the resurrection, 
and justification in our lives, Lord. Thank you. I pray, Lord, that those who do not know you, that their hearts would be softened towards your message of love and of hope and of grace and of encouragement. Not a message of condemnation in our lives, Lord. No one can condemn us because you have made us right. Lord, I pray that you would just help us all to lean into this truth more every day, God. Help us to walk with boldness for your kingdom, not in fear of what other people will say or think or do against us because we are being led like sheep to the slaughter. The things that come in this world will come. These trials will come, but Lord, we have you as the giant carrying us through this life and no one can stand against you. And we just thank you for your, your power. We thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.